0: Hey everyone, this is Rob Liefeld. Welcome to Observations, where we talk about all the comic books and all the movies and the TV and the streaming and all the pop culture. And we have got a busy, busy episode. It is jam-packed today. We, um, there are so many topics on the table to cover. I have no idea uh, if I'm going to fit them all in in this episode, but we're going to... Um, Close with a Market Watch segment because the market is blowing up. I spoke of it in recent episodes and it is just the the comic book, comic book uh, trading cards. Market is crazy. There, there, there's stuff that, that that's happening that is just insane. Even CNN wrote an article on it. I talk about one of the uh, most pristine collectors that I ever met. It was Eminem's attorney, entertainment attorney, and this was just a few years back. And so we kind of tie all that together. But the thing I want to talk to uh, talk about the most today is I think the subject that comes up the most in my life, in, in, in the uh, circles that I travel in, I see it online, I see it everywhere, is the subject of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, or Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. This is the most single complicated relationship in the history of comic books, uh, simply because of the amount... Of fruit that it, uh, it 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 was able to to produce. This is the most plentiful, creative tree in the history of comics. It's the Marvel comic book tree, the Marvel tree. So you got Thor, you got the Fantastic Four, you got the Avengers, you got the X Men individually. You know you have you have Iron Man. Uh, you know uh, we, we continue on down the path. We get Black Panther. We get the Inhumans. We get Silver Surfer. We get Galactus, Jack comes back on his own, completely writing and drawing all his own stuff. You get Devil Dinosaur, you get Machine Man. You get so much, uh, just so much from this creative tree called Marvel Comics. The tree isn't called Stan and Jack. The tree is called Marvel Comics. We can uh, best cast uh, Stan and Jack as the gardeners. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh of this of this garden this where this giant tree is and all these amazing wonderful creations sprouted from uh they have long had a testy relationship they have uh you know spent more time i i, I think opposed or at odds with each other on this this creative question than they did united and or creating work together but the quality of the work they did together is why we are so enamored by this. Just as um, I have always been enamored by the working relationship with the Beatles, and you know, when I was growing up, the Beatles were blowing up. And by the time I came of like an age of awareness, they had broke they had broken up from blowing up and taking the world by storm to now they were all on their separate paths. And my uh, early childhood memories are all of their solo efforts. Paul McCartney and Wings, uh, John Lennon, Imagine, all of that stuff. I was in junior high when John Lennon was shot. It was news that traveled all around the world. And so it, that, that collaboration ended any hope of them reuniting. Both uh, Stan and Jack grew to be much older men. Stan obviously much older, 20 plus years older um, by the time Stan passed away. I look at this from a very unique perspective in that I knew both men. I knew both men's work. I grew up with both men's work. They were not uh, producing work that was that was handed down in 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 a fashion like I'm. I didn't have to go back 30 years to find what they had done. What they was what they the work they did was being reprinted in front of my eyes. I got a. Fantastic Four comic at the same time Marvel was putting out Marvel's greatest comics, which was reprinting the Stan Lee, Jack Kirby stuff from a decade ago as if it was brand new in 1974 1975. And Jack himself was putting fresh material in front of me with Captain America, Black Panther, Devil Dinosaur, Machine Man, his offerings at Marvel and what he had left behind at DC, which is the entire pantheon of New God comics. New Gods, Forever People, Mr. Miracle, then the Demon Commandy, Omac, uh, the Jimmy Olsen work that, that Jack did. Jack was as prolific as anyone could have ever hoped to be. Uh, say it together with me: Jack Kirby was the most important uh, comic book creator and the fan, the best comic book artist of all time. I, bl- I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it. Um, if if there is some aspect of his work that you found uh that uh, uh, you found fault in something you didn't like about what he did he did everything else so much better that it more than um than counterbalanced any perceived weakness he really had he had so many strengths that 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 they overshadowed anything that 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 anyone would try to uh to hold against him i've had so many people uh who have who have come out in conversations with me or I read them on social media who say I came to Jack late in life. I didn't like him immediately in the immediate uh, time that I I was receiving him because I was this age or this age. Look, Jack Kirby was producing two to three books a month when my heroes of the 70s, Jim Starlin, John Byrne, Frank Miller, George Perez were cranking out huge works that I find are the best of their career, all of their early Marvel career. Jack was there. I was buying all of Jack's work. He wasn't my favorite, but I loved him, and I bought everything he did. My, my you know, my favorite was bouncing between Byrne, and and uh, and George Perez, and then again Frank Miller and Simonson. And uh, there, I had five or six favorites, but Jack Kirby was never left on the spinner rack. He followed me home. He came with me, especially looking back at the abundance of covers that he was doing in the seventies. He was doing covers for the Invaders, for Fantastic Four, for the uh, for the Avengers. He was doing Ghost Rider covers. He was doing Hulk covers. He was doing Defenders covers. They basically handed him a third, if not more, maybe 40% of the company's covers. So Jack was on everything. If, even if I was buying a John Berman book or a George Perez book, it came with a Jack Kirby cover. I mean, literally. Uh, Avengers 154, 155, 156, one of my favorite sagas in the Avengers Pantheon it, it crossover with supervillain team up it had Dr. Doom it had Atuma. it had Prince Namor it, it, it just covered so many different uh, corners of the Marvel Universe each one of those as a two of them are a George Perez inside one is Sal Busema they're all linked by Pablos Marcos who holds it together and makes it one cohesive looking story they all had Jack Kirby covers and they are great Jack Kirby covers again the Invaders Defenders Fantastic Four the Hulk all of Marvel's A-List, all of Marvel's A-List comics had Jack Kirby covers. So Jack was relevant. Uh, Stan was not writing as many comics. The last comic I remember Stan doing in ni- 1980, 19, 1979, 1980 was She-Hulk number 1. She-Hulk number 1 was um, advertised as written by Stan Lee. He would not write the rest of the series. They would hand that off. It was kind of a special stunt. He, he uh, wrote the issue, John Buscema drew it, and it celebrated the coming of Hulk's cousin, Jennifer Walters, who, as we know, is getting her own show on Disney+, and we're going to know a lot more about She-Hulk as she comes into focus in the next year, but Stan was sort of exiting the stage, but Jack was there uh, in, in, in full capacity. The Eternals uh, was a fantastic comic. Machine Man. I loved, I love Machine Man. I loved every single uh, issue. Machine Man was, for a period, one of my top five books. So absolutely Jack had 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 fought his way to the top of the stack because it was more than just the art with Jack. It was the ideas, the concepts, the execution, the storytelling. Uh, he, he He's just simply the best there ever was, there ever will be. And then there's the, as I've said, the prolific nature. So how does this cycle back to Stan and Jack? Because together, they did Avengers number one. Together, they did Fantastic Four number one. Okay? Together, they did X-Men number one. Do we need more? Jack did the cover to Sp- to, to Spider-Man's first appearance. Okay? And are rumored to have been involved in the creation of Spider-Man. One of the things that really piqued my interest is this weekend, just this weekend, uh, this, is, this is mid-February 2021, Mark Evanier, who Mark is an elder statesman of comics with great respect, nobility. Uh, He went on to be the showrunner for the Garfield cartoon that ran forever. So he worked with the Garfield cartoon, the Garfield property in the 80s and 90s was as red-hot a cartoon character could be. The Jim Davis estate let Mark run with it. It was a long-running, very successful cartoon. This, in addition to all of Mark's, other television work, as well as his comic books, which whether it was DNA Agents or Crossfire or um, so many of the other comic books that he wrote under uh, for for Eclipse Comics, Mark was a uh, very well-established, successful comic book writer. He worked in 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 TV as a writer and a producer in animation, and then you you find out he he was an assistant, one of the original assistance to Jack Kirby when Jack was living in Sherman Oaks, uh, in Thousand Oaks in, in, uh, in Southern California when he relocated from New York. And, and, and that is where Jack would, would remain until his dying day. And Mark saw more than anybody could ever possibly see. And Mark has stories that are better than anyone else's stories. And occasionally Mark takes to his blog and he shares some of those stories with us. And on the Jack Kirby pages, and I, I I'm telling you, there are about four to five very well-trafficked, Jack Kirby Club's fan pages on Facebook. I am a member of, I think, four out of five of them. And uh, they are all very celebratory in every you know corner of Jack's work from Boys Ranch all the way on through. I didn't mention Captain America at the top because Captain America, as you know, is not created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Captain America was created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. So prior to Marvel, uh, you know, Jack had 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 done so many comics, monster comics, romance comics. He had drawn, um, you know, his his wartime superhero comics. By the time Jack got to Marvel, he was in his mid 40s. This was not a young man by by today's lens. And so, when he teamed with Stan, and they generated the Marvel Universe, uh, they both had experience Jack had more experience Jack was the more veteran of the two and certainly um you know Jack was the more um established of of the two the uh the the thing is that uh that that, that when Jack and Stan got together and the Marvel universe was born holy moly we were in for i mean a brand new experience along along the lines that no one had ever seen before because This, uh, this, this, this would go on even today in 2021 to rock our world. It would rock everything about the culture that we live on. The, the work of Stan and Jack are everywhere. It is everywhere. It's on, it's on the store shelves. It's, it's at the gas station. It's at your comic book store. It's at your toy store. You guys know the drill. It is literally, um, you know, you don't have to look far to experience the work of Stan and Jack and the magic that they created together. So this is just an incredible, and incredible, and incredible uh, uh, feat that that the two of them achieved. And they, you know, had this amazing amount of success. And from from something like the X Men, which was not exactly a uh, a a which was not a a home run. It was actually seen as one of the weaker of the of the offerings that they did. X-Men was, was the one that had maybe the least amount of, of, uh, the least amount of traction. It wasn't as well-received. It certainly wasn't as well-received as, uh, as Fantastic Four. It wasn't as well-received as the Avengers. And look, Spider-Man isn't even with Jack. It's with, you know, Mr. Steve Ditko. And the two of them just absolutely tore it up. And this is where we pivot to what Mark Evanier was writing about, which was in fact the uh, which was in fact the the depiction that Stan I'm sorry that Jack has done of of uh, the the depiction that that Jack has done of Spider Man. He's only done a few, and it was seen to be uh, it was seen to be the uh, it was seen to be uh, jarring in 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 the way Jack portrayed Spider-Man. Um and the the uh Mark took to his blog to discuss this because people were freaking out like, you know, I don't really like when Jack drew Spider-Man and and he went out of his way to uh he went out of his way to discuss why Jack drew Spider-Man the way he drew and the words that he That he shared were so profound in that he said, Jack, when Jack drew a character, he wanted to give you his version of that character. Not, Jack wasn't gonna give you the Steve Ditko version of Spider Man. He was gonna give you his version of Spider Man. And so uh, Jack drew a very bold and, 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 and I would say stocky but powerful Spider Man figure. And you know, he only drew him a few times. And Mark in his blog says the few times that he did draw him, when you would see that in print, it was re- it was touched up, it was altered, probably by John Romita Sr., who was the art director who was instructed to do so by Stan at the time, because that's how Stan rolled. And he talked about how even when John Romita Sr. took over Spider-Man for Steve Ditko, that... Stan would sometimes ask Jack to redraw John Romita Sr., John Romita Sr. to redraw Jack. It was Stan's bullpen. His brother owned the company. He was the top executive. If he told you to do it, you did it. You did it and you didn't look back. That's the way the bullpen ran. That's the way the stuff was was set up. And this is, in fact, um, it, how he says that we saw these versions of Jack Spider-Man. Very few of them, he says, are... Um, presented purely as Jack intended because they've been inked, they've been altered, they've been embellished. So when I now look at these, I listen, I listen to what Mark is saying and I look at it and I wonder what am I seeing that is purely Jack, what is not Jack because I will tell you for a matter of fact, I can grab those Defenders covers. This is why I brought those up. I can grab those Defenders, those Avengers, those Invaders covers and you can see very clearly even the Captain America covers when Jack was writing and drawing the interiors of Captain America. Jack Jack would draw Captain America, and now with this wonderful Kirby Collector, which has been going on for almost 20 years, the Kirby Collector magazine, which, which shares pencils, pencil roughs. The, I mean, the great thing is so many people took so many Xerox of Jack's um, pencil pages, including his entire core of inkers, staffers. So this stuff is shared. You can see it in its purest, its purest form, which is the way Jack put it on paper. John Romita Sr., also the art director at Marvel at the time, would alter the work. He would alter the faces. He would make them maybe more mainstreamed, in line with how, Jack, how Stan wanted to see it because Jack's style, my favorite period of Jack, is this period in the 70s. That's my favorite Jack. That's where I believe his powers had come together and he was as, as potent and relevant uh, in what he was doing as he had ever done it. His, his women were beautiful. His faces were handsome. He he did he did a myriad of body types, monstrous creatures, but on these covers, Stan would maybe want a softer, less jarring looking fi- uh, look on Captain America's face, and John Romita Sr. went in there, drew a different face and pasted it on, or put it on an overlay, um, or in some cases, added whiteout and just went right over it. This is I've seen every single example I just told you. And that is what you would get. I've seen Hulk faces on Jack Kirby bodies that, uh, that 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 Jack did not draw. These are alterations. Back at DC Comics, they were having Neil Adams and Kurt Swan put Superman heads on Jack Kirby's Superman figures because they felt that Jack's depiction of Superman was not as mainstreamed or on the style guide that they wanted. Style guides. It's the great excuse or the great, um, you know, arbiter of making changes this isn't in style on this so therefore we are going to justify changing it and jack is in california by this time and can't storm into the new york offices and protest this and he's just putting his head to the board and is you know grabbing his pencil and just knocking him out cover after cover after cover avengers defenders cap Ghost Rider. he did iron man covers uh Invaders. I mean, the, the guy. I mean, the team books. The four major team books that Marvel was doing. Jack was producing covers on a monthly basis for, and they're great. They're fantastic. I love them. I, I. I mean, there there are comics on my spinner rack right now that are, you know, all Jack's run of covers because I just love looking at them. I love the boldness, the fun, the style. And here's the deal: it it connected with you or it didn't. And some of these people are like, well, this wasn't my favorite thing. So I didn't, you know, like Jack at this time, but now I love Jack and Jack is the best. And I've come to respect what I didn't like about him. And look, that's fine. People find movies and TV shows and books and stuff later in life that they appreciate more than they did at the time that it was released. They're adults. I'd never met one. I just knew my dad said, "I'm not into sci-fi, son." about Star Wars 1977, but I now read about adults who openly mocked it, said, it's a kid, it's a kid's film. You can read uh, excerpts from the making of Star Wars, watch the documentaries where there were adults working on Star Wars that didn't understand why George Lucas was making a children's film. Why are you making a children's film, George? And little did they know that there were all of us out there waiting to receive George's children's film and turn it into the biggest blockbuster of all time and quite possibly the greatest you know saga of our age uh and and i i mean i really believe that 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 you know sometimes it's just not meant for you it's meant for all the other people who love it and all the uh the the railing against that other thing that you could possibly muster is not going to make other people dislike it the way you want them to dislike it because you don't like it and some of these are confessional stories from kirby uh what what, what are we going to call them Kirby, um, you know, uh, they, they've been transformed. Okay. They, 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 they've, they've, you know, come around. They've, they've, you know, discovered Kirby now through a fresh set of eyes and have an appreciation for him that they didn't used to. And so they are all over these boards and some of them are openly discussing some of the depictions of Spider-Man that he did that they, that they didn't enjoy. So Mark, took great effort and shared a very long on his um a very long diatribe not a diatribe an explanation of um how things were done uh Jack's contribution Jack's contribution to the earliest possible designs of Spider-Man why they went away from it and uh look once they went away from Jack's version of Spider-Man he moved on and we got Jack's Fantastic 4 we got Jack's Thor we got Avengers it's just he wasn't meant to be the Spider-Man guy but I do enjoy seeing his renditions of Spider-Man I think they're great I actually dig them. I th- I I, uh, I like when other artists ink over them. Frank Miller did a fantastic rendering over Jack's pencils. He took Jack's pencils and on an overlay did his inking of Jack in his Sin City style, where he turned everything chiaroscuro, uh, extreme shadows, and it looked it's amazing. So so the, the the Jack once again Jack's basic uh, pencil DNA. Uh, it, you can do so much with it. It's so open to interpreting. Having inked Jack myself on the Phantom Force project that we did together, having watched Todd McFarlane ink him, Eric Larson ink him, all, all manner of other uh, uh, modern stylists combined with Jack, it was great to see the result. You always saw Jack through it. But again, Jack's style is one thing. Jack's creativity is the other. There are all manner of books that are going to be coming out now that Stan is passed that um, are going to tell you uh, what they know, what they learned. And there's going to be one after another after another. I know in Stan's last days, there were only a handful. I'd say two or three guys who can give you the entire picture. They were trying to get in because the gatekeepers that got access locked them out and they never gave up and they eventually gained their own access. Those are the guys that can tell you everything. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. I heard these stories. They're not my stories to tell but there's only a, a, a handful. So when I read of others' um, versions of this by maybe a gatekeeper that was dismissed who's mad and now he's going to do his best to tarnish and stain Stan's legacy, uh, you know, that's unfortunate. And uh, because here's the deal. What I came to reconcile within myself about Stan and Jack is that there is no question the, uh, the level of Jack's creative energy, his creative capacity... He was a creative engine, the likes that I don't know we will we will ever experience again. Uh, not if you mashed up Walt Disney, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, uh, you know, George R.R. R. Martin, and Stephen King. I mean, Jack did cosmic, he did street level, he did weird adventures, monsters, romances, your standard basic, you know, su- superheroes. There, there was no genre he didn't touch that didn't interest him, that he didn't excel at. That he gave you breathtaking vistas, landscapes, environments, supporting characters, costuming. The guy just did it all. He did it better than everybody else and he supplied uh, a lifetime's worth of, of, of kind of creative oxygen that we're all still breathing. It was just yesterday that Zack Snyder's newest trailer for his Justice League that's coming on HBO Max dropped and we got glimpses. It appeared beyond dark side of Granny Goodness and perhaps other fourth world characters. So here we are in 2021 jamming on the stuff that Jack did in 1970, okay? That's when New Gods exploded. It Was it ahead of its time? Absolutely. Read any of those books and you can see how absolutely relevant, how brilliantly and polished and constructed they are. The figure work is amazing. The costuming is is like next level futuristic uh, I mean, Jack was like a futurist. I, I really feel like he saw with a pair of, of 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 eyes that the rest of us didn't. You know, supernatural forces, cosmic beings were talking through this guy. He was and remains as 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 absolutely just uh, outstanding and impressive as any talent I have ever seen. And I'm look, I again, I'm not just talking filmmakers. I'm talking painters. I'm talking people who write songs. This guy's creativity—the creative engine that is Jack Kirby—has stood the test of time because once he broke with Stan, he went on and continued. Uh, I, I, if there was a litmus test for creativity, he would um, ace it every time and and really move the ceiling and the floor uh, and, and 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 establish a, a different bar. He he really is nothing short of like a, a creative phenomenon. Now, whatever Stan did and did not contribute, here's where I'm going to shock you. It doesn't really matter to me. I, In my mind, here's the deal. The artist does so much of the work, the majority of the work. We can, we can battle percentages. I don't want to insult the um, more talented writers out there. There are definitely writers who lean heavily on the art- artists that they have. Then there are artists who are extremely well-crafted to the point um, where they are actually describing the armaments, the costuming. Um, but still, once it's described, and I've written scripts, and I've drawn comics, and I know which one takes longer. I know which one intimidates me more. I know which one uh, just just you know requires uh, a, a larger skill set. And that is the drawing and the 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 manufacturing of the visuals of the comic. John Romita Jr., early on in his career, did an interview. John Romita Jr., who had done Spider-Man, Iron Man, and was in the middle of his X-Men run. So this guy has done top titles at Marvel. He is the son of John Romita Sr., so he's comic book royalty. He gave a brilliant interview in Marvel Age Magazine. If memory serves correctly, it's in Marvel Age Magazine. And he spoke of the roles that a comic book creator has to wear and he said look man we are in movie terms we are the storyboard artist we are the cinematographer we are the director we are the costume designer we are the makeup artist we are the special effects artist and I mean he listed more than that but I'm like wow that's when I really understood the vocation that I wanted to pursue that, that it covered so many different bases. And John Armita Jr. is right. You are deciding what that character wears, the expressions that character carries in, in regards to the acting. You are um, controlling the lighting as the artist. You are de- determining exactly uh, the lighting of that scene indoor-outdoor. You are providing the environment, whether you are drawing Wakanda or the Baxter building. Uh, you are uh, telling the pace and the page turns of that story, the gestures, it covers so many different uh, skill sets that every one of those different jobs has a union in, 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 the, in the storytelling business of filmmaking. They, they are unionized. Uh, the, the costume designer, the storyboard artist, the uh, cinematographer, uh, the, the sound technician. Because uh, we do special effects. I put special effects in my comics. I know what I want. It, it, when it's a whack or a thwack. Or a smash, or a blam. Okay, and the comic book artist wears many hats. We wear so many hats. And when John Armita Jr. said that, I felt empowered. It's like, yeah, because I wanted, I guess, my folks to understand what I'm doing when I'm doing these sample pages, and I'm drawing the characters working out in a gym, and I'm and and, and I'm, I'm I'm referencing, you know, equipment, benches, weights, uh. uh all of the different gym equipment that I was, um, you know, drawing that my characters had to stand in with perspective. And 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 so I'm creating the environment as well as their gym clothes and they're all wearing different clothes. And the big guy isn't wearing what the medium guy is wearing and isn't wearing what the short guy is wearing. And uh, again, it just covers all spectrums. And so from that point of view, is Jack the more important component? Uh, hands down. That's not even up for debate to me. And, 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 and the process with which did Stan say, hey, I need a big guy uh, who attacks New York City and, and attacks the Fantastic Four. And Jack goes, got it, and creates Galactus and also in the process creates Silver Surfer. I don't know. I wasn't there. I know I love it because of the way Galactus looks and the way Silver Surfer glides. And now the, the section of the prose of the, the dialogue... Look, Stan, great scripter, great writer, which of the two? I'm not sure how much of the creation went into it. So just so you know, I'm not sure. I don't weigh in on that. What I know is in the final product, Jack is the far more important component. Jack would go on to draw Thor. I I, I would encourage you to see any of Jack's works. And there's an entire echo chamber of Thor people who are mad that Vinnie Coletta... Inked them because he erased so much of what Jack did, except when I was drooling all over those jobs. When I was a kid, I liked the ink line that Vinnie Coletta applied to Jack because it was more, I guess, render, rendery, feathery. It wasn't the powerful Joe Sinnott line that I was getting on the Fantastic Four or the Mike Royer um, line, the bold lines that I was getting on his um, Marvel stuff that he was producing in 1976. Whether it was Cap or whether it was Black Panther or The Eternals. And uh, so so I like the change-up. I like the variation. I wasn't a guy who was raging against Vinnie Coletta. Um, and I understand, yes, if you put in front of me that he erased backgrounds, and we can only ascertain that he did that so, as, so he didn't have to draw them and turn them in. I get it. There is justifiable rage to that. But I didn't know that when I was looking at those comics. I can only go by how they made me feel when I was looking at them. And I was way more hung up on the insane headdresses and the armaments that the Asgardian supporting staff was wearing, whether it was Odin and his many different outfits, or if it was the Warriors 3, or if it was Ulic, or again, sometimes Balder the Brave and Hemadol would have different outfits and different swords and different armaments. And, And that was the magic of Jack Kirby, because you cannot at all on any level tell me that, that, that Stan was dictating costuming details to, to, to Jack he wasn't we all know this to be 100 uh you know a fact given that it was it was significant and it was signature and Jack did it on everything he did and you know maybe uh you know the, the stuff we, we don't love maybe maybe we have to also bring the failure of the original five x-men that Denver clicked Cyclops beast angel Iceman maybe we have to bring that. To the feet of uh of jack as well and say we didn't love this we didn't love this as much so so if we're giving gonna give you praise for loki and for Hemidal and for odin and for lady sif then we also have to tell you that this stuff didn't seem as inspired you know um you know m- m- maybe maybe the vanisher wasn't maybe the best design you've ever done i i i continue to look at the vanisher and he kind of looks weird and even when john burn draws him he looks like kind of weird he looks clownish, so you know not everybody can bat a thousand. The only person to ever come close was Jack, but that doesn't mean he was perfect because he wasn't. And uh, and maybe and, and and the yellow and blue costume, the 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 motif, which again, when I was launching X Force, Tom DeFalco, God bless him, came to me with my submission that I had of a you've seen it, it's Cable standing head to toe, and the X Force team is around him. Tom DeFalco had with crayons. Uh, he made a xerox of that drawing i was in the marvel universes and he put them all in yellow and blue motifs and said what if we went to the original stan and jack it was cute i i was i was not offended by it i thought it was um uh, it, it, it it was a it was a very cute suggestion but i uh, knew that that's not the way i would be going but so the blue and the yellow still survives today and and so maybe maybe there is something to come out of that original uh, design. But then on the flip side, you go, Magneto looks great. Magneto is as Jack intended him to look and he looks as cool as he did now, as he did then. You can maybe do some tweaks on that, on that, uh, on that helmet and you can turn it from red and purple to white and gray. And it's still going to rock the day because it is Jack's, uh, Jack's design in every way. And yes, I tried to rhyme that and I succeeded. And that's as much of the wrapping that you're going to get to me from me on any, um, on, on any specific episode of Rob Observations, But and most importantly, when you look at Thor going away from Fantastic Four, going away from the Avengers work that he did and the X-Men work, these are works of uh, that, that I believe s- s- they soar, they, they, they soar, the hardest soar because of Jack's uh, uh, fantastic ability to tell a story. The uh, amazing ability and capacity that he, the, that he had to move his camera, to put it in interesting shots, to make powerful gestures. When people hit each other, it felt like the, the page quaked. That's Jack Kirby. That's his DNA. I love when I can even tap into a tenth of that DNA. It, it just, it thrills me because I sense what he was going for. I just didn't land the punch as well as he did. But the fact that that template is there to build off is so, um, I, I just appreciate it so much because... You know, later on, I would see John Bisema and other people formulate and, and 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 go after those same gestures, those same camera moves, crops. Jack really was uh, a, as a trailblazer on top of every other uh, amazing, amazing compliment that we have, you know, brought to him today. But so, where does Stan come in in all this? If if I believe that all of this is a result of Jack, primary, he is primarily primarily the reason. And the majority contributor, uh, where does Stan come in? Well, he dialogued them. That's that is not in dispute, and the dialogue is wonderful. When Stan would have characters like Silver Surfer pontificate, uh, it was magnificent. It it, it it there was he had a really he had a great ear for prose. He he could uh, he really knew how to um, have great dramatic speech because that's what comic books is about: dramatic speech and the succinct way. That your characters speak dramatically to each other, given that it's comics, there's only so much room for the word balloon, and then you got to turn the page and start it over again. Stan was great at this, so they were a, a great pair. The words on top of the pictures was a winning combo, which is why you need both of them. And yet Jack felt slighted, and I'm going to get to right the heart of the slight uh, right now. In, in 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 when we go that that Jack's role was bigger than just. Stan's role was bigger than just the scriptor. It was bigger than just the scriptor. It was in fact he was if 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 you'll roll with me here, he was the host. He was the host of Marvel Comics, okay? The host of Marvel Comics. And 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 when I was a kid, hosts didn't carry as much like like they, they, they didn't carry as much um you know, wait as they do nowadays, like like the host of The Bachelor and and um and and the uh, the the host of American Idol. Obviously, Ryan Seacrest is the famous, most famous, most it would appear to me most relevant, impactful host. So 20 years ago, the hosts weren't a big thing because none of these shows existed. Okay, you have American Idol because Who Wants to Be a Millionaire became a thing, and Regis Philbin, the greatest talk show host in the history of talk shows, and I've watched them all. Again, I draw in front of the TV for the majority of my mornings, from 6 to about 11. So I have been watching uh, some hybrid of Good Morning America, The Today Show, uh, Kelly and Ryan, uh, you know, and 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 on through whatever I'm going to watch that particular morning. Okay, that is what I have been doing m- since I was a child. So my work schedule because I'm up by six. I'm drawing. I am watching the news, local news, network news, network news shows, syndicated shows. I watch them all. I take it all in. It's just noise while I work. So I don't have to watch. I can't watch a drama or a, or 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 or, or a, you know a television show that has storytelling components because I'll miss out because I have to look at the board and I have to produce. That's why talk shows are so great. I grew up with Regis Philbin. He was hosting a show here in Los Angeles when I was a kid. It was called AM Los Angeles, and my mom loved him. We watched him. I've been watching him since I was seven years old. And uh, look, followed his career. He then has this blast where he is the host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which becomes the top-rated show on television. Which immediately inspires uh, all sorts of imitators from you know uh, uh, the the just just numerous. Game shows became the early 2000s, and then we had the singing competitions, and the idea of a host became the most important, relevant part, and the most consistent part of each of these shows. Chris Harrison hosts The Bachelor, Ryan Seacrest hosts, you know, American Idol, and uh, then you've got uh, then you've got uh, hosts on hosts on uh, on on you know the the other star making shows, and then you've got judges. And this became this new domain. And the reason I'm getting into the host and leaning hard into the host, and where this is Stan's role, and why he shined and why he's so relevant, is because these hosts they become the face, they shape the 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 the, the property, the material that you're going to interact with. Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve. I still think they call it that. Now they've maybe put Ryan's name on it as well. But Dick Clark was doing that again when I was a kid. Dick Clark was the biggest host that I had become aware of in my youth as a result of the fact that he did American Bandstand every Saturday and it was a way that you saw music acts. And so again, but, but, but hosts across the board, there weren't 10 or 15 or a dozen hosts that mattered like they do nowadays because whether it's Chris Hardwick, um, wh- whoever does The Wall, whoever does this, you know, American Ninja, um, American Gladiator, there's all sorts of shows, the biggest of which, of course, is American Idol. So you've got Ryan Seacrest. He demands top dollar because he is associated with this hit show. And the hit show is associated with him, so they don't want to lose him. He is, in fact, the spokesperson for one of the biggest brands of the last 20 years. I knew that the hosting thing was becoming a big deal when my sister-in-law, who is in the entertainment business, does commercials, does, does acting. You've seen her in different roles, in different spokesperson roles. She was putting together a host tape in the early 2000s. I said, what's a host tape? Literally, what's a host tape? Oh, hosts are a big deal now. You know, you want to uh, get a job as a host. They're great gigs. And, you know, I'm like, wow. The age of the host blew up, expanded, exploded, in fact, to the point where now they are the most important aspects of some of these shows. You cannot lose these hosts. Otherwise, you get a news blurb. So-and-so host is going on leave. But they want you to know, so and so host will in debt will indeed be back because the host and the uh, relationship we have with the host—he's our audience surrogate. He or she—I've I've been doing too many he's—but uh, but 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 the the the, the female hosts certainly in, in, in talk show that's that's where they rule. But in these game shows, I mean, you've got Cameron Hall, you've got Kelly Ripa, obviously you you the queen of all you know Oprah Winfrey. You've got the, the the hosts of their shows, but in the primetime world of these competition shows, these worlds, these brands, the host is everything. This brings us to Stan Lee. He was the host of Marvel Comics. That is the best way to, to put it. Stan was the host. He traveled the country, he went to colleges, he went to campuses, he met with the kids, he told them, you should be reading comic books. He went on television, he did interviews. He was extremely well-spoken, he was a gregarious personality, and what he was always selling was your comic book experience that he needed you to have in the worst possible way. He didn't produce anywhere near the same magic on the page, in my opinion, as Jack did. Let me say, in my opinion, one more time, in my opinion, as Jack did. He produced nowhere near the amount of material, the magic, but he was selling it abroad and then he would go to Hollywood and he would sit and he would pitch and he would become the host of Marvel Comics all over again. Why you need to make the Hulk show, okay? Could could Jack have done that in that chair? I don't know. I don't know that he could have. I don't know that he, I know that he would not have done as exceptional a job as Stan. Stan as the host of the Marvel Comics universe Traveling on the road, selling Marvel to people, executives, fans, students. He had dedicated himself 100% to that endeavor, and it was something that fit him like a glove. And we ended up benefiting from it in the biggest possible way because he is a reason that maybe more copies of The Hulk with Jack Kirby covers at the time because he wasn't doing the interiors. But if you bought The Hulk because Stan got The Hulk into into CBS and on 8 p.m. at Friday nights and Lou Ferrigno and 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 the, the entire Hulk dramatic enterprise that blew up for Marvel Comics and you got Hulk Treasury editions and Hulk Slurpees and you saw all sorts of Jack Kirby work Little Digest at, at the proof of purchase at the, at the point of purchase in the grocery stores is where these were sold at the checkout so they were irresistible to kids like me. He said, "Mom, can I have that Hulk Digest book for 99 cents?" That had Jack's work in it. That had the early Hulk stuff. Now the split is, and I didn't want to go into the business aspect of it. I'm not going to go into the business aspect because that's a completely different arena. And I don't want to upset any of what has been established and what has been settled. Because the 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 fact of the matter is that 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 the the financial components to this were settled several years ago to the Kirby estate's satisfaction. And I don't want to rattle that cage. What was done in the in between was done. The relationship, the, 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 the ownership of the creative material is what I read about all the time. And, and here's the deal we're going to end with Steve Ditko. It'd be one thing if it was just Jack against Stan. But what I lean into the host aspect for is the idea that Steve Ditko and, and Jack Kirby, who I don't even think were friendly, tell the exact same story they tell the exact same story of of a creative process that they felt that they were um generating they were both the respective creative engines steve ditko on spider-man and and doctor strange and that and that stan would come in and script over these different um these different stories that these men created we weren't there we don't know how this all rolled out we just know that both steve and jack felt that their um their contributions were not acknowledged creatively, not financially. I'm not doing this financial argument. That is for another platform, and that's not what we're going to get into today. But this, this creative idea that they felt that they brought these amazing worlds and characters and names and concepts, and that Stan would co-opt them and not give them as much creative credit. That's their beefs. That's not my beef. My beef is to tell... My, my approach is to say... I can appreciate them both because of this. Because there was a period I'll be unguilty of, there was about a 10-year period where I was. um, I felt that Stan, uh, I did not feel Stan was painted in in the best, I I did not paint Stan in the best light. I took up for Jack in a way that um, gave him God status that he still deserves, quite frankly. But the sour lens uh, that, that I put Stan through When I got to know Stan more as a man and travel with him and spent more time with him and then reflected on my own journeys with him as a fan and the voice, his voice introducing cartoons to me, knowing that he was in the executive suites trying to get the Marvel universe to, you know, to to lift off. And let me tell you something. There's one thing that I keep reading that, oh, Stan wasn't able to get these movies made. Nobody was able to get these movies made you dc could get superman and batman and that was it you didn't get a green lantern movie in 1977 you weren't looking at a you weren't looking at a justice league movie okay there were the new gods were not something that was possible in 1978 1982 1990 okay i i met with these execs i was in the top executive suites at paramount sony warner brothers disney universal lionsgate they had an aversion To the comic book superhero movie. They thought it was cheesy. They they associated it with camp, and they thought that the Tim Burton Batman movies were more reflective of of the Adam West vision than anything else. And that is why very few comic book movies punched through and connected until the amazing X Men release, which again benefited superheroes. Don't argue with me about Blade, it did not get a single superhero movie greenlit. X-Men got superhero movies greenlit and Spider-Man and the Marvel Universe and suddenly we were off to the races. And maybe the first versions of those in the early 2000s are not your favorite versions of them, but they got the wheels rolling and you got to start somewhere. I was trying. My, my peers were trying. We were all trying. Stan was just like the rest of us going up against the same resistance, but he was there and he was fighting and he was trying to get these creative visions made. I don't want to get it caught up in the financial components. Jack and his family have now been taken care of. He was honored. He was given a lifetime achievement award. Bob Iger awarded it to Jack, you know, posthumously, you know, 2017 D23. He was honored. Uh, Jack has been recognized. That's not the gripe here. I am weighing in with a unique perspective on these two men and, and their importance to the properties without Jack. They do not um, appeal to me in, in the level that I believe they required to maintain their legacy and their relevance. But Stan was the host of the Marvel show. Stan hosted, you know, this is Marvel Comics. And that was Stan Lee. And if you think of him more as the host, the voice, the curator, the guy who was introducing you to all this stuff, I don't know that there was anyone better and anyone more capable. Now, um, the men clearly didn't appreciate I think they didn't appreciate each other as much as they could um in the same way in the same way that we have seen um, um again you know Paul and John Lennon have a falling out and never truly reconcile to our you know um satisfaction we can hear maybe they were talking before John got you know was was killed and maybe they were having discussions but but we we never saw them come together again There's creative differences they can do that they can do that and and that happened here and uh, with Stan and Jack, and and it continues to this day to 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 just be a topic that people cannot seem to 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 let go of, and and whether they want to pit these guys against each other or um and and, and choose sides, it, to me it just makes me sad. Find each strength, the strength of both men, and give Stan some credit there. That whether it's just the dialogue that matters, that's a nice polish on these brilliant genius concepts that Jack never tired of. Even to his dying day, he was still creating. He was a relevant comic book creator his entire life. And Stan, in his capacity, was, as the host, you know, again, my sister-in-law, she's making hosting tapes because being hosts was the thing, okay? Um. There's a, a Ariel Vandenberg. I follow her. She's funny. She, I think, hosts uh, a dating show on CBS, Uh, Love Island, I think it's called. Um, She made a big deal when she got the host job on on social media. She was, you know, excited to share with everybody that she got this hosting job. I think she has more followers than the show does viewers because we live in this upside down world of social media now. She has more followers than I believe the show has viewers, but she was excited to be the host of this show, even though her personal brand online yields more eyeballs, you know, in in terms of the, the social media follower um, test. But the thing is, she celebrated that she got this job. She was the host. She is the voice, the, 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 the person who introduced you to the players. She introduces the rules, how things go down. Stan Lee was the host of Marvel Comics, and he had a beautiful, wonderful portfolio to share with everyone that was created by both Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby. Steve was definitely an oddball, a recluse. He wouldn't talk to people, especially the last 15 years of his life. Sometimes wouldn't answer his office door. There've been stories that were recorded stories of of how people interacted with him. He wrote tons of letters to people. My friend has tons of Steve Ditko letters. I've read them. I've held them. Um, but what he what he would not let go of was his belief and anger that he felt creatively compromised again by Stan. And whatever Stan's relationship with these two guys is, we don't know. But the three of them together are inseparable as the pioneers, the gardeners, the curators of the most wonderful creative garden that we have ever experienced. And so those are my thoughts. Um, I Again, Jack, the, the the biggest, most formidable creative engine and inspiration to all of us. Stan, wise enough to tap into it, interact with it, polish it when he, where he could, and host it sell, it, sell it. Sell it to you, sell it to everybody. You know, distribution is a big deal. And Stan, helping distribute the projects uh, and, and, and the stories... As well as contributing to them was essential and cannot be underscored. I I I do propose that that is as as equal an importance as to the work that was uh, being produced and all. end with this, so everybody told me about uh, about Cobra Kai years ago when it debuted on YouTube, years prior to becoming to coming on Netflix. I watched every one of those because my kids watched and told me when the shows came on Netflix, Cobra Kai had two seasons in the can. It had failed to really catch fire on YouTube. It was extremely well done. Those Netflix shows that we saw were done for YouTube. So those first two seasons, like what were we all missing out on, right? But I had tried to do the YouTube thing and just wasn't having much success at it. And I wanted to have it on my big TV and Netflix immediately, boom, they're a carrier that just locks me in. And it, and here we go. And I didn't have to sign up and, 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 you know, try and access youtube on my big screen it was just netflix was easier but the bottom line is netflix is like the easier carrier it's it's the distribution component that gets more numbers gets more eyeballs gets more interaction and so if stan was facilitating and taking jack's work and putting it on netflix instead of youtube is kind of the correlation i'm going for here again as the host bringing it to a better distribution network, a better carrier system, where, where in reference to my kids, they told me each of the Cobra Kai stars added a million um, followers on social media or more once it hit Netflix. Shows that were basically collecting dust on YouTube who that existed, that had gotten a much smaller audience. Once they were put on a different platform, a, a, a better distribution, a more relevant distribution carrier service, Cobra Kai blew up. I propose to you that Marvel and Stan are the Netflix and all of Jack's works, um, or the Cobra Kai, and they never had to meander on YouTube because the delivery system of Marvel, when it took over in the 70s, it took over and it ran over everything, and they became the industry leader. And that is really, while I love the Jack work, and I may love it a little more than the Marvel work, there's more Marvel work, more iconic work that Jack did. The Marvel stuff is, at this point, relevant. The creative engine that is Jack Kirby gave me my two favorite villains, in two different companies: Darkseid at DC, Doctor Doom at Marvel. Both by the same guy. The creative engine. I. 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 don't. I. I. If someone chose to argue that with me, that w- I would flip out. I, I don't think there is a manner with which you can successfully defeat that he is the most significant creative engine, uh, uh, maybe of all time. Okay, but Stan was the host. Of the Marvel show and that mattered it, it mattered significantly greater than I think some of his creative contributions was the fact that he was giving you and hosting the Marvel show which is what we all got and so if you think of it in that point maybe maybe it maybe it changes the way you look at it I don't know that's my take that's where I fall on the matter and uh that is the major topic of discussion today Stan and Jack they're very complicated Not just relationship, their complicated legacy. And I'm going to leave it right there today before we pivot to a marketplace segment which discusses all of the craziness going on with comic books and uh, and collectible cards. And we are going to uh, welcome a special guest as we prepare to discuss the market and comic books market in a segment that we're going to call the Market Watch. we are going to get right into this market watch segment which i want to um start implementing into the show because uh the 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 market the comic book market the collectibles market which as we've talked about on the show so often it's the fun part of comics finding out that a book you bought for a buck that you put in your collection that's now worth a couple hundred bucks is the bonus of loving comic books if, if it's your passion then you're a day trader and comic books are your stocks so you know while you may get something positive positive out of this that's not really um what it's all about but before i get into setting this up i want to welcome jimmy j of amazing comic cons and of uh j company comics his retail businesses and his convention business. You guys who are familiar with the show are familiar with Jimmy. So Jimmy, what's up? Wanted to say, Hey,
1: Hey, I'm stoked to be on here once again,
0: Jimmy. Uh, so here's the deal. As you and I both know in the last, uh, literally the last week, uh, the, the, the comic book market lit up my direct correlation into it. The way I'm completely stitched into this is that my, phone starts blowing up about the Deadpool uh, card that is in X-Force number one. Now, X-Force number one, there was five million copies. There were five cards, one card per comic book. For those of you who don't know um, about X-Force number one, it came out in 1991, summer of 1991, 30 years ago. And so there was a cable card, a Shatterstar card, uh, uh, Gideon and Sunspot The two of them on a card. There was an X-Force team card. And of course, there was a Deadpool trading card. So as it was explained to me was that this has been uh, shaped now as the Deadpool rookie card, which makes sense, lines up. It's an original card. It's uh, produced by Impel, which was doing the Marvel cards during this time. So what's happening is these Deadpool cards started popping up with the grading service. Uh, with the grade going through the grading service PSA, which is obviously huge in the sports card. And they have been going for what I have heard about a thousand, a pop Chicago retailers and Boston retailers this week have shown me uh, the, 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 the listings and thousand dollars for the PSA nines, not PSA tens was the, the thousand dollars from, from Jimmy. And, and, and to quote you, you said, Rob, This 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 card is now worth more than the comic that it's bagged in. So, Jimmy, give me some some uh, shed some light on what's going on with uh, specifically this Deadpool card and the X-Force and then we'll build out from there.
1: Well, I think the X-Force cards, it's it's definitely a part of this this uh, non-sport card renaissance, Uh, uh, you know, with uh, sports cards booming in the last in the last year, in the last six months. Um, in the last two years, I mean, whether you're listening to Gary V or or Vegas Dave, if you follow them on social media, you know, they are going to have their different takes on on sports cards. But I think the sports cards shifted into non-sport cards like like Pokemon cards, and there was this 90s renaissance there. And then that's shifted to other non-sport cards. People are picking up these early Marvel cards, whether it's the Impel Series 1 and 2, whether it's Marvel Masterpieces, things like that, that, again, these have dried up. They're in people's collections. They're harder to find. You can't just go into your your average local corner store and and buy them. But there's a fandom that are nostalgic for it, and they are clamoring for it. Now, in those sets, those that Impel Marvel Series 1 and Series 2, there is not a Deadpool card in there. And so a Deadpool rookie card, the only place that you could get an Impel Marvel uh, Deadpool card at this point was an X-Force number one. Now, X-Force number one, the comic books, they have the five cards like you mentioned. But what's what's even more curious about this is that about five years ago or so, when the Deadpool one movie came out and and the months prior, things like the New Mutants 98 took off, things like. X forces took off. There's a lot of there's a lot of these copies around, but these dealers that had maybe an extra box of these or had a stack of these left over, or they had some in storage unit, they sold them all. They're all out in the public. They're not as much. They're more in the wild than than any dealers ho- hoarding them. So I mean, they're spread you know you know far and thin, and so um, so I mean, which which increases. This, this demand for these Deadpool cards. Again, not everybody has a X Force that's poly that has the Deadpool card. So again, it's it's this market that people want to complete their collections. This is the only place they can complete the, that collection. And again, there's this there's this market shift. So uh, you know, for these graded, um, these graded uh, non sport trading cards. So and that's what so we're so so now.
0: the the. the... The to uh, to t- t- to get personal on this, based on on hearing about this, I know that I have a uh, a box I brought home over the summer, because during the summer is when my son and I uh, really kind of he I made one of his summer jobs a way he could earn money is helping me organize the garage and we had a ton of stuff to move to my storage unit, and so while we are in the back and forth, I discovered. A box. I, I literally thought like I had all the New Mutants, X Force stuff um, at home, but we discovered a box that was uh, X Force number one, like 50 X Force twos, and ironically 20 really nice copies New Mutants 98, and then assorted others. But but the 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 books that I had the most of were the X Force ones, the X Force twos, and the New Mutants 98. And again, I used to get comps from Marvel. This looked like a box where I was storing my comps. It was a short box, all New Mutants X Force stuff. New Mutants 100. Oh my gosh, yeah, New Mutants 100s in there. The silver, the the gold, and the and the regular. So, so I was most interested in at the time, obviously the New Mutants 98s and the X Force number twos. And I was very impressed. Look, guys, if, if all of you who have a collection, who put it aside and you've suddenly not interacted with it for thirty years when you open it up and, and 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 the copies are really crisp and the condition is great and they've been pressed really tight. So that that that's 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 a fun feeling. You go, Oh man, I, I took good care of these. Okay. I took I took good care of these comics. Yeah. Hey so, Rob,
1: doesn't it feel like that that moment in Pulp Fiction where they open up the the the, the briefcase and you see yes, the gold yes. shining on every on, the, on their faces? I, I,
0: this, this this is where I do confirm that Luke, my son, who was helping me and I, had a gold, uh, reflect gold light reflected on us when we opened the box. That is one hundred percent factual. I, I I maybe Luke recorded. it. I'll try and get that. Yes, exactly. You hit it on the nail. So so on friday based on all this buzz i went out to the garage to grab the x-force copies and sure enough i had uh three of the x-force team three of the cable three of the Shatterstar, three sunspot gideon and three deadpools so i put those deadpools i did not open them but i put them in the uh the plastic i put them in the uh the, the, what do they call the shells, Jimmy? The
1: oh, the, uh, the top loaders. Top
0: loaders. I put them in top loaders and set them aside, and 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 and, and kind of figuring out what I'm going to do. The funny thing is, for years, people have asked me uh, if they should open the books and and uh, or keep them in the plastic slabs or in in the plastic bags that X-Force every copy of X-Force came through came in, and and I've always been like, you've got to decide that for yourself. But all this last week, my Instagram, my Twitter, and my Facebook have been burned up with people showing me that that they're grabbing these Deadpool cards in the exact way that I am. Where I want to kind of pivot out from this and not make this all about a Deadpool X Force number one Liefeld card is uh, you mentioned the 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 Impel series, uh, the, the 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 one and two that they did. Before, did they, did they then go to Skybox? Is that what happened?
1: They ended up, it's, they, yes, they ended up going to Skybox, but then those were all brands that were, you know, that were eaten up by Fleer. And so, and, and of course, you know, they ate up, you know, you know, Marvel comics. So it's like all these, all these, uh, small brands basically kept on taking each other over, you know? And so the bigger fish kept on eating the smaller fish and in, in terms of these trading card brands so uh impel ended up getting uh purchased by skybox they went to skybox uh for one of their licenses and um and then i mean it progressed from there i mean later on there became you know flare ultra and flare flare you know in a number of other ones but uh but initially it was impel before it was purchased by um by skybox
0: and, and i'm going to expand the scope a little here because as so many of you of, of you who listen to the show as you are listening to jimmy and i talk this over because we're really trying to focus this um and, and as i continue to focus it, it, it but by focusing i'm going I'm to branch out a little into another area which is original art and it was reported uh this weekend that the uh alternate cover there was a variant cover on the first uh appearance of miles morales it was drawn by Mark Bagley. I don't I, I forgive me. I don't know who the anchor is, but that that uh, websites were reporting that that went for 200, maybe 220 thousand dollars. And in the original art groups, it was being, you know, people were just lighting up and talking about, well, it's the first appearance of Miles Morales. It's the variant cover. It's justified. There's other people flipping out over the cost. It's, it's, it's a constant discussion between original art dealers also about the word. Uh, the, the word bubble, and 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 the, the things I'm hearing a lot in terms of investments are floor ceiling bubble, floor ceiling bubble. So um, I think I I shared this with you earlier this weekend. This CNN. So so I did a podcast last week about comic books boom and bust, where things are going, where I see comic books heading, and uh, so I went and leaned in and said this sports card uh, collectible interest, the money that's coming in with it. Is going is now in the non sports cards. That was just kind of reporting what was going on. But I leaned in and said, I do believe, based on what has happened in the past, that it's going to shift to comics. I don't know where in comics. I don't know if it's if it's a new title. I don't know which publisher is going to benefit. But I believe that, uh, especially, you know, uh, back issues and, and and just like following the collector's card, the high grade stuff. Is where people are going to go nuts, and also we talk about key issues, key appearances. So this CNN article is sent to me by people who listen to Rob's observations. They send this to me uh, Friday afternoon, like Rob, you, 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 you predicted this, the, the, you know, you, you 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 couldn't have called it um, more accurately, which is weird, but this is uh, on Friday, February twelfth at um you know noon. Uh this was sent to me, and it, it, it's uh, – there's never been a time like this Wall Street is piling into trading cards as prices soar. And it's an investment page, and I shared this with you, and I just want to – um, the pull quote is from Ken Golden, founder of Golden Auctions. Now, he came to – he sold the Michael Jordan rookie for $738,000 a couple weeks back, Well, just early February which was the shocker that that, that this is what the seismic shock right is that a few weeks earlier it went that same card went for two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars then the Michael same Michael Jordan rookie you know PSA pristine condition now goes for seven hundred and thirty eight plus five hundred thousand increase and Golden says there's never been a time like this in the history of the business I wouldn't go anywhere near the word bubble he says i would bet for every person who wanted a michael jordan rookie card in 2018 there is now a hundred for every one person so again i'm just reading the cnn business article and one of the um talks about speculators which we have to be careful of uh and then uh it 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 talks right here that uh i mean really i wouldn't go anywhere near the word bubble i said that in this in, in on a I was on an original art group, Comic Art Live, Comic Art Fan Live does a YouTube show episode 27 last week. Tuesday night I said I wouldn't use the word bubble in the art market. There is – there is that the, the original art is not going to stop appreciating. It talks about what you said here. Uh, Gary Vee, Steve Aoki, Mark Wahlberg have given greater um, notice to sports cards in the pandemic. Um, celebrity endorsers they're called. They're, they're drawing attention to this. It says this is a market that is growing in demand and does not have more supply. Um, This is the recipe for the opportunity. But what I really want to get down here, the the, the shocker, it it talks about the spike in prices, catching the attention of a wider class of investment professionals flush with cash following unprecedented stimulus measures. Okay, this is hilarious. I mean, it does say that this has all been boosted in the pandemic. You're going to comment on this in a minute because I'm just going to get this out of the way. It says that funds are being created to chase this stuff. And then this guy right here at the end says, um, it well, it also starts that it says that it's not just Wall Street, but um, that that's chasing this. And it's, it's, it's you know, private it, it collectors. But it says uh, it says right here that, um, you know, and one, one guy's talking. I bought my Michael Jordan rookie, by the way. I have one. It's not graded. I know at the outset I think I mentioned this it's not a 10 but I am actually absolutely going to have to gra- I bought my Michael Jordan rookie for $225 uh in 19 uh summer of 1990 mm-hmm. and uh and so 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 and that's his 86 rookie card one guy says he spent $9,000 on it um but right here at the end this guy says here that uh that most people believe that this card is heading for a million dollars right here, this market uh, analyst. um, He adds that the 86 Jordan card appreciated faster than anyone expected. He doesn't think the value is out of line with where the demand is headed. Everyone in this industry thinks that this card is a million dollar card. We all thought it was a year away. Instead, it was only a month away. So look, we're we're, we're talking about this right now because, um, and then I'll, I'll swing back. I go to Frankensons again i talk about Frankensons all the time jimmy has a dedicated booth there he is the first comic book booth that you hit in the aisle he has all of the um the 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 fresh comic every week all the new offerings he's got the 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 collectors the the the, the omnibuses the trade paperbacks the hardcovers, and then on the wall you've got what, what what people call the the wall books which are the hot books the books that are harder to find that command a different uh, a higher price I was at your table when the last Ronin, the new Turtles book came out, which we're going to talk about because you've got a lot of, a lot to say about that. And and I saw people bidding up the book right in front of you because, again, supply wasn't meeting demand. When I, I go to Frankincense with increased activity nowadays because, unfortunately, in the pandemic, a few stores near me have shut down and there's less options for me to interact. Um, these were stores that I got Bronze Age comics from. Um, it, the most recent thing is I bought some Thor comics, 1972, 1973 uh, Thor comics from them uh, p- prior to the pandemic. Um, they always took great care of them. They were in great condition. I got trades. I got I got supplies from this place. So Frankincense has supplies, and then it has about six to seven dedicated Bronze Age guys. Today I went. I spent 20 bucks on some back issues. We started talking. Jimmy he says, Hey Leifeld, have you heard? What the buzz is? And I said, tell me. And I know exactly where he's going. And he grabs series two of the Impel, the Marvel series two. And he says, I would have sold this this entire case. I was asking for maybe fifty bucks a month ago. He goes on on Wednesday. I I was I was I was asking a hundred. He goes, but the card guy and there's a dedicated card guy, uh, who's got. Unopened boxes of everything you've ever imagined: Charlie's Angels, uh, Planet of the Apes, uh, Battlestar Galactica, 1977 Star Wars boxes. Long story short, he says that guy's asking $500 for this now, because you know that the the, the non sports cards are blowing up. So Jimmy, that happened to me this weekend at Frank's, and the guy, I mean it was shrunk, And I, Jimmy, I almost was like if you're gonna ask $500, I'm gonna take that off you like your hands right now. But I said, no, resist the impulse. But I know like by Wednesday, that box is going to be more than that. And and he said the, that guy's looking online, seeing what they're going for. So he's within his means to ask that. So, Jimmy, is this going to touch comic books?
1: It, it already has. And I think it's only going to be more. Um, something again in the CNN article that they, that they mentioned is that people really love these as investments you know you don't love a stock but you certainly love you know you certainly love your your sports cards and that i mean that was the point of this well i think the same thing applies to uh to comics and comic books are such a big part of popular culture now so whereas sports obviously you know big arenas Okay, in a pre-pandemic world, you know, we're packing those arenas every single night. Uh, You know, Dodger Stadium, you know, sets an attendance record every single year. Um, You know, again, pre-pandemic. So sports have always been been part of, of the pop culture. I think especially in the last, you know, 10 years, comic books have really ingrained themselves as the driving force of all pop culture. So do I think that that this money will flow into this area? Absolutely. Because you have um, more fans for it, you have more awareness for it, and you have a greater acceptance of, you know, of these pop culture icons. So you will see more and more, um, I think, dollars flowing into this industry. And I mean, that's something that I find exciting. Um, And it's also something that that You know, as as a retailer, I'm looking at how do I manage my inventory because there's only finite amount of these different items. I mean, you can't you know, I mean, that's you know, that's the nature of it. You can't go in and produce more Michael Jordan rookie cards because they're not. You know, it's not the same, you know, you could reprint a first, um, you know, the first Spider-Man story, but you're not going to get, you know, the same vintage amazing fantasy, you know, that you and Todd McFarlane were talking about while, you know, while walking the floor of the San Diego Comic-Con. You know, that just doesn't exist. So um, so because of there's these finite amounts, you're going to get your pool of, of buyers, your pool of people that, you know, will appreciate this is larger and larger. Now, the, you know, the 90s comic book boom, and again, I want to keep away from boom and bust, but largely it was caused by collectors looking for something new and something fresh. I do think that the, you know, I see more and more people collecting more stuff during this, you know, during this era. And so you do see, you know, more of a crossover between, you know, people who you know, are buying high-end graded Pokemon cards to people who are looking for, you know, high-end key, you know, back issues. You know, they want to be into the sweet spot of their pop of pop culture. So yeah, so, I, so I, I think it's I think it's definitely flowing.
0: I want to I want to again we talk about let's go to that part in the in the article where it talks about people enjoy these investments. So it was uh right right before the Deadpool movie opened in 2016. Uh, my manager asked me to have lunch with, uh, an attorney who, or he was an attorney or a manager who had represented, uh, both Eminem and, uh, and Dr. Dre. And, uh, that's exciting to me. I love, I love hearing stories. So I, uh, went and met them in, in Beverly Hills and we went to this swank, restaurant and we ate and he just wanted to talk to me about the history of comics, the people I knew in comics, probably the guy is, you know, 70 ish older guy. And then he said uh, when, when lunch was done and, and he was finished talking about, you know, Eminem and, and Dr. Dre and, and the music adventures that he had and, and, and the success that they had. And then asking me about comics, he said, Hey, I live just up the street. I walked here to the restaurant. Would you like to walk back with me? And my manager already had already told me that he he wanted me to come back, uh, like likely to go back to his office, um, and maybe sign some stuff. So I was I was sure no problem. I mean you know uh, whenever I go up to L.A. I I waited out for the for the traffic anyway. So I'm just killing time. Um, so I walk back just two blocks from this swank restaurant up into the neighborhood, and we walk. Into a mansion. We clear the gates. And this guy is um, loaded. We're talking pillars. We're talking. I mean this behind the gates. Giant mansion. I'm laughing. I walk inside. And this guy in the. It, you you open to this wonderful marble. You know just copious. Giant. Ostentatious beautiful room. But then the first room off to the left. Is his den slash office. And we walk inside, and he has giant, oversized Marvel um, history of Marvel comics, and there one of them was open to a John Buscema uh, uh, splat, double page splash of the Avengers. But most importantly, and this gets to what I'm what you're saying about enjoying their investments, uh, all along the wall, all on the walls were slabbed. So he had them framed. The CG, CGC stuff. Um, th- he had the first appearance of Batman first appearance of superman amazing fantasy i, I is, is batman detective comics uh is
1: yeah but, detective and, 27
0: and and jimmy i had never seen these up close and personal in this way he had them all you know and he had bob kane's signature on the detective these are legit these are legit like oh no I'm,
1: this sounds this sounds amazing this is this, definitely like this, a museum museum yeah moment.
0: He, he had um he had some alex ross original paintings he had some alex ross statues and uh, and then then he had all of these. I mean, first appearance of Wonder Woman. First appearance. It was all first appearances of DC. And um, I mean, I was I was I was standing in a million dollar room. Um, of just oh yeah,
1: um, you know what? No, that that was multiple millions. Yeah, I mean,
0: and and Jimmy. I mean, he's like, yeah, you ever seen these before? I go, no, not all of these up close. I've seen an action. I've seen an amazing heroes, but not ever together in one place. This is, it was the most impressive personal collection I'd ever seen. But this guy, this is how he rolled. He wants to take comic book junior boy, me, to see his amazing collection. And what he does, Jimmy, he already has New Mutants 98s out, laid out, ready for me to design. <laughs> He, he, and, and, and he's like, you wouldn't mind signing these. And New Mutants 87. And I said, oh, no, I'd be happy to. And uh, he had a couple things already signed by Stan Lee. And I gave him my John Hancock across all these. And he uh, continued to walk me around. Uh, Shazam, Captain Marvel, you know, whatever that bu- book is, Pep. But, I mean, these were some of the nicest condition uh, of these books. And, I mean, he could not have been prouder, more excited. Again, seven-year-old man got very excited to be young again with me in that moment and had that joyful uh, you know exuberance. So here's here here you got posh Hollywood power player um welcoming me into his mansion and then I am going to the off the I mean again you guys understand clearly with Eminem and 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 uh, Dre as his as his clients he has Obviously done very well for himself. <laughs> this, this was quite the spread. And what does he take me to? I mean, again, first room, off to the left, the giant oversized den. And, and and I signed New Mutants 98, New Mutants 87 there amongst all of these fabulous, historic, classic. You know, so I think when uh, – and, and, and the hobby – let's call it the hobby – has been uh, – I'm not sure it's ever been given the respect that it's due tr- between you and me because – you know, we, because we've grown up in this, know how valuable some of these comics are, not just for their, uh, I mean, not not just because they reflect the first appearance of a character who's got a movie coming out next week, you know, in, in whatever week that is. But just the value, the scarcity, you know, the rarity. Uh, the guy who showed me the box of cards today said, so are you not, because they're, they're watching me. They're always watching me. You can tell. They've evaluated me are you not really buying silver age comics? Cause you never buy silver age comics. I said, it's not where I live. It's not my sweet spot. My sweet spot is the stuff I grew up with. And again, you know, as, as I've, as I've told you and you referenced the Todd McFarlane on the floor, San Diego, amazing fantasy. That's always going to be the first appearance of Spider-Man. And I literally, I mean, that resonates with me all the time. And, and so from the Eminem guy to, to, to what you're saying in the CNN article, it's the enjoyment of actually having these things, because oh, I myself got a 20 minute presentation from this attorney who wanted to share with me the, the most impressive private collection I've ever laid my eyes on. Um, but you know, then, it's
1: not. You know I think it's cool, though, that. OK, you just mentioned high power attorney, but it's like the high power attorney has a man cave and just like just like blue collar guy who comes to Frankenstein's and, and buys you know buys buys books or buys books at their local comic store, they have their man cape too. Now, granted, it might not have a first appearance of you know of Batman, but it's going to be like, hey, this is my I have my slabbed New Mutants 98. I have a slabbed uh, Spider-Man 300. I have you know what the comics were in their sweet spot. So it might not be million dollar issues, but it might be issues that. Maybe are a few hundred dollars or it might be, Hey, you know what? I'm a really good, I'm a really big fan of, you know, you know, insert another character. I'm a really big fan of Harley Quinn. I'm a really big fan of power girl. I'm a really big fan of whatever, even second tier, third tier, fourth tier character. They have that all over their man cave too. So I do think that there is a pride in ownership um, that, that definitely builds, you know, our industry.
0: Well, and it's like, you know, my my, my son's really sparked to when Logan Paul, who I'm, you know, I'm not the, you know, I I understand who he is and he has a giant following and he's definitely a big influencer. And he came out and started promoting Pokemon and Chase, my son has stayed with Pokemon and has never wavered for the last, I mean, since he was like literally seven. So it's 11 or 12 years now that he's been into this. And he used to carry his collection around San Diego and buy new cards. And he had them in a tin. I mean, it, it has been a long-standing obsession for him, but his friends had fallen away. They all reignited. He's like, Oh my dad, dad man, dad, my, my, my friends are all back into it because of Logan Paul. Everyone's dusting off. It's, it's, it, there's a relevance. I hate to put it that way. There's a relevance that gets borrowed, you know, from when somebody, you know, says I'm, I'm really into this. I mean, it's, uh,
1: <laughs> no, do you, yeah. you know what, Steve, okay, and, and again, Steve Aoki, okay, huge, huge DJ across the, you know, across yeah. the global DJ, same thing with Logan Paul, Logan Paul has tens of millions, Steve Aoki, and they're doing pack Wars online, you know, and that's what they're doing, you know, that's their content during, you know, during the pandemic, so it is sparking, you know, this, this nostalgia, what they grew up with, and, you know, what these, you know, call, calling cards are, you know, of pop culture.
0: So so here's my um here's here's my parting like wrapping in it, this all up into comic books. I I spoke of the last Ronin Turtles and how big it was and it's been through three printings and each one k- keeps the sizzle going, but you know what everybody really wants is that first so so the first printing cover A, right? That's the
1: You know what that the, is the main driving force. Because it's like, yeah, there could be a goofy variant. And I saw a lot of, you know, these high-end goofy variants, you know, that are highly special. Uh, I, I do. Yeah, I do. Okay. I do high-end goofy okay, variants. Okay, so, so. so I don't, you know, so so I am not demeaning that at all. That is a that is its own segment of, of collectibles. But in terms of the, the far majority of people are, give me a first print standard copy. I just want that first print cover A, you know, that's what I want. You know, I don't, you know, I don't want it a, I don't want a later printing knockoff. I don't need anything else with whistles and bells. Just give me the, you know, I want the, I want the main cover. I want to be a part of the main cover.
0: What is, uh, what is driving the excitement behind this turtles book?
1: You know, I think it's it's seen the it's seen the end. Okay, I think that is. You know, I think that in 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 all storytelling, OK, I think that there is, uh, you know, there is the the end times. I mean, you know, whether it is, you know, whether it's in the Bible, you know, the book of Revelations, whether it is the Norse Norse mythology of Ragnarok. Everybody loves an end to the story, an end to the saga, an end to, you know, an, just an end point. And in comics, in comics who, you know, who made this, I think, really nailed it home was Frank Miller. And we've talked about Frank Miller a whole bunch on the podcast. You and me, and you have done it so much more, is um, with Dark Knight, it, it was essentially, this is the last Batman story. Now, they've done sequels and everything like that because it's, you know, been so successful, but it was billed as always the last Batman story. Time jump, he's old, you know, he's an old man, you know, and... You know, we want to see him go out in a blaze of glory one last time.
0: So you, and you that, think that's that that is one of the driving forces behind last run and that gave it its big.
1: Um, I, I do because it's, its like you know status. here is a here is a you know property that you know people experienced as kids, you know whether they bought the toys, whether they saw the cartoons, whether they were like me and bought the comics and hid them in their math folders. You bought these as children, and now you want to see it. You want to see it mature with you and you want to see, you know, what happens at the very end. And I think that there is a, you know, they want to see that that saga capped off or at least are extremely curious on how it plays out. So I think that is a, you know, it's a telltale formula uh, that, you know, that people have always hungered for. Um, Frank Miller did it. This is, you know, Turtles has been very influenced even organically by Frank Miller, you know, with the hand and the foot clan and, you know, the martial arts and and very much with, uh, you know, with his, you know, with his work on on Daredevil and then later on Dark Knight. Um, So, I mean, it it is extremely organic that there's that the two are are connected. And I think people want to see that that ending and you know there was some there was a you know shocker at the you know page turner right at the end of the book and i think that has created a hunger for issue number two and even though it has been so late in what's, coming out, what's
0: the delay what's the delay between
1: issues you know it's, how long okay the first issue came out the last week in um october now the book was supposed to come out in in july august but it came out last week in October, so we have all of November, all of December, all of January. It is going to be mm-hmm. about three and a half, four months. Uh, it will be about three and a half to four months before uh, between issues.
0: And and it has not dimmed the heat whatsoever?
1: Yeah, surprisingly, no. I mean there's you know there's a lot of cases in and you talked about it on your podcast last week with book of the week and there's a lot of book of the weeks that have come that have gone and you know in this in this last several in the last several months but Ronin last Ronin has you know has has stayed and again I think Turtles have built a fan following that is that is you know 35 years um or so or more about 35 years and, um, there is, you know, so there, there is that, that, that hunger. I mean, there's three generations of fans that have, you know, that have loved the turtles or more. And so, uh, so yeah, you know, the first printing obviously sold out within a day. I bought heavily into a second print cause I thought that would ease demand. And that, you know lasted a couple of weeks. I bought heavy into the third print because I wanted to have them around for the, um, for when the number twos came out, and 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 I sold out of that batch. I mean, every time that it came out, I think, okay, I have enough. You know, I want to stock it for a while. It disappears.
0: No, I mean, look, Jimmy, I bought the second. I bought the third print too. I want to participate. It and it feels like that, that they're fun to grab before it comes out. But this is what I'm going to say to you, and we're going to talk because I've, I've discussed this with not only you but other people I, I know in the business. Because the end result is the reason people are digging it so much is because it was so well done. If it wasn't well done, no one would care. That that is, uh, th- there are things that can get momentary heat by the virtue of you know being being of the week. Like you said, sometimes there's just nothing out and people go, well, I'll, I'll grab this or or they're or they're riding the trail of what happened at the end of Mandalorian when everything Star Wars lit up again and 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 you, you read all the time, you know. First appearances of Jedis, Ahsoka, all this stuff. I, f- I follow it. I get it.
1: Oh, and OK. Now, and I get Ahsoka, But I got to circle back to last Ronin. I, 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 the
0: last round. The thing with the Star Wars, I get it. I get that the appearances are driving that stuff. But that, 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 that comes, that goes. Last Ronin, three and a half months. People are digging it. People want it. People are going to show up this weekend. You asked me if I wanted you. You wanted me to hold a copy because you said that this week when Last Ronin comes out, it is going to be scooped up and 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 there is again probably more demand than there's going to be supply and and we've talked about this even with cover artists that we're not going to mention but I've told you there's some guys that get spikes and I've told you that cover artist the the I I like it's trendy but it's not going to last and and eventually that will run out of gas and they have they have we we've, we've discussed this but when something is good and and it, and it satisfies like Last Ronin, satisfied. I don't think people saw Dark Knight coming, too. I was there back in 1985, 86. People didn't see it. They they thought they knew what they were getting. They didn't know what they were getting because they 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 hid the contents. They didn't show you. And then when issue two came out and you had the giant, you know, Dark Knight, you had the Batmobile is now a tank. This weekend, Snyder Cut trailer, everyone's going. It's 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 the Dark Knight Batmobile tank. So we are still – the stuff that you and I grew up with is is being featured in these mega million dollar productions that are garnering everyone's attention right now. The Dark Knight is still resonating. The ripples of Dark Knight are being felt in 2021 as fresh and as relevant as they were in 86 because it was good and and it really – it shook the trees. And the fruit is still falling because it's good. And that's what I think with Last Ronan. It was so well done that first issue, and, and and I do believe it's so key that Eastman is involved, right? That Eastman. You know, did. it
1: wouldn't work. It, it wouldn't work if the if the creators of the turtles, you know, weren't doing it, and it was, you know, it was another, you know, another team. It wouldn't, you know, it would be at best a clickbait story, you know, on you know on, on the bottom of a of, of a web page, you know. It's but instead it is the the guy who created turtles is showing you the the last turtle story. I mean, it doesn't get it doesn't get better than that.
0: Jimmy, I, I look forward to continuing these discussions, uh, talking about market trends and and look the, the, what we started with this this collectible th- these non-sports cards came out of nowhere. Nobody saw this coming. but I'm at lunch with a buddy of mine. And, and he shows me the, the 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 what they call the rookie Spider-Man card in the Impel uh, set series one is going for two thousand dollars. Okay, um, I think it, it was PSA, it was PSA ten. And and so so you got this grading component. These these people who are now tearing open these boxes. The, the guy at Frank's that says you want to know what's hot? This box went from fifty to five hundred in a week. And 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 it's because the fever's there, and people suddenly, they're. It, it's fascinating to me what's going on, and and I I this is a repeat of what happened in the '90s. I don't know where it leads, but it will touch comics. I don't know if it's high grade comics. I don't know if it's fresh to market comics, brand new titles that someone will step in on. It's it's the wild wild west. It's very exciting. Like this guy in the CNN said, we thought this was going to happen in a year. It happened in a month. That's how. And I talked about this on the podcast. That obviously, social media is the giant signal. It's the bullhorn. It, it flashes signals immediately that we all react to. But we're going to continue doing this segment. This is going to be a dedicated segment where we talk about market trends. And, Jimmy, I'm going to tell you, I, I, Jimmy, I, I've talked about comics retail recently on this show. And the retailers who try to discourage me from buying books or creators and wanted to give me their opinions and that's never not that's never what you do i've seen you i've seen how you treat your customers you are so kind you are so um informed and uh you know i I love watching you interact with the customer base i love watching you when you run your shows how you go to everybody's table and you ask them how they're doing it it, it's just it's awesome it's fantastic it's great to have that's what we need more of in the business that's why I'm always drawn to talking to you and picking your brain because um, you, this is what you do for a living. And if you picked wrong, you'd be out of the business. But you've been doing this for 25 plus years. You know what you're doing. And uh, I'm so glad you're still doing it. And I'm so glad you joined me for this segment, Mr. Jimmy. Um, so, dude, we're, we're going to circle back and keep picking your brain on this stuff.
1: Rock on, man. Love being here. Love doing the show. Thanks, guys. All right. Hey, Jimmy, take care.
0: So there you have it. That was a jam-packed episode. Again, the comic book marketplace excites me. I see a lot of exciting stuff going on. Uh, look, look, sometimes the value of a comic is what's going to uh, get somebody to get into the entire comic book hobby. You know what? Uh, my mom cannot tell you the name of the team that LeBron James plays for in any given year. She doesn't know the name of his kids or his wife. But she'll tell you, I read that he is getting paid this much for his salary or he got this endorsement deal. Unfortunately, in the culture that we live in, sometimes the numbers that are associated with our business are the parts of the business that attract attention and then attention attracts intrigue, interest, and then maybe a lifelong uh, devotion to follow. That's just the world we live in. That's the way it is. As far as Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and their... Complicated relationship. Uh, look, I didn't, I didn't expect to change any minds today. Not looking to uh, really weigh in on the debate, other than give my view of the matter. That's just sharing my view of the matter. This is a battle that will wage from now until the end of time in regards to the Stan and the Jack of it all. It is extremely, uh, you know, complicated is the best word to use, and. And the way that the comics were 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 produced, the fact that Stan's uh, brother was his boss and had the label—it's just—it's all very—it's um, all very very complicated. And uh, it, it's—it's—I mean, there's Stan had the family component, Jack had the work for hire, but the bottom line is the magic, and nothing can take away from the magic. Uh, I, I held a giant oversized hardcover in my hands. ...of their work this weekend. I flipped through it. It was just... Again, comics have an effect on me... ...greater than any movie... Uh, ...any any television show, music... That, ...that that I experience. Comic books just shakes me... ...and moves me like no other. So there you go. We talk comics. That's all that matters. Thank you for joining me. I am on social media... ...at Robert Liefeld over on Twitter. On Instagram, I'm at Rob Liefeld. So, at Robert, long form... ...Robert Liefeld on Twitter... At Rob Liefeld on Instagram. Look me up. I'm all over social media. I hang out on Facebook. I'm I'm, I'm everywhere just like you. Phones nearby. Interactions are just seconds away. Uh, thanks for the shout outs. Thanks for the recommendations. You guys remember uh, to, to take care of yourselves, stay safe, and we will talk again real soon. <laughs>